following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Um, I know some of you are probably expecting Pastor Steve to give today's message to you on the Sermon on the Mount, but um, on Tuesday he actually asked the staff if someone could fill the pulpit for him. And his schedule was filled with a lot of unexpected appointments this week. And so, being the dutiful executive pastor, um, I asked Lester if he could preach, and he said no. (laughs) So here I am. And uh, I'm joking, of course. I'm happy to bring the word for you today. I'm going to actually speak on a topic that maybe isn't so happy. Uh, It's called entitled, Learning to Lament. Learning to Lament. So let's open in prayer before I begin. Holy Spirit, as we turn into your word, we ask, God, that you would open our hearts to this gift that you have given us in lament. We confess, Lord, that it is something that we often fail to practice, especially in our time of need. And so we ask that you would grant us the faith at this time to hear from you. Reveal to us, Lord, all the points of resistance in our own hearts in which um, we do not want to lament. Open our eyes, God, to um, all the ways that you desire to bless us through this gift. We submit this time to you, and it's in your Son's precious name we pray. Amen. All right, well, um, I want to begin the sermon by showing you actually a very brief video. It's a video of my two sons. It's about 15 years ago, and they, um, they're about five and two years old here. And in this clip, we're actually driving back home from visiting friends in Toronto, in Canada, and we're stuck in this long line at the border, okay? And we're trying to cross the border. We've been sitting still for about 45 minutes, and, and I think um, it just pictures... Two different children dealing with their distress in two very different ways. So. <laughs> That's it. Um, and I think it's a good picture. It actually embodies their personality, I think, even pretty well today. You know, one of our, as you can see, Tim is very expressive, if you know him, he's very high highs, very low lows. Caleb is more introverted and introspective, and, you know, at, at that age, he just needed his night-night to rub to, <laughs> to help the problems go away. But how do you express yourself when your heart is troubled, when you're in distress, when life is not going the way that you want? Is your anger and frustration released with just kicking and screaming, or do you quietly internalize it and stew? Do you turn to something outside of you to find relief, something to distract you from the pain? What is it? Who is it that you turn to when you are in distress? You know, a couple years back, Pastor Steve preached through the life of David, and during that series, we explored this idea of lament. And so I want to build on that today, and I want to start with a reminder of how uh, Pastor Steve defined lament in that series, um, and read it for you. It says, a lament is a cry to God in response to the pain, suffering, and loss that we experience in our broken world. A lament is a cry to God 
in response to the pain, suffering, and loss that we experience in our broken world. We talk a lot at ICC about brokenness. Um, and if you've been here long enough, you've probably heard this many times, that brokenness is experienced by everyone, everywhere. And it's not only self-inflicted because of our sin or our sinful choices, like pride, selfishness, greed, unwillingness to forgive. But it can also be inflicted upon us from the sins of other people, like abuse, racism, sexism, infidelity, drunk driving, um, shootings, we just prayed about. Or it can enter into our lives just from living in a fallen world, like natural disasters, disease, cancer, death. None of us can enter and exit this world without being confronted with the brokenness around us and the brokenness also inside of us. But I believe by giving us the gift of lament, God is not only acknowledging the brokenness of our life experience and of this world, but he's given us a means, a means in this life to deal with this brokenness. I'm convinced that we often struggle alone in our pain and even compound it because we do not regularly practice taking it to God through lament. We struggle in our pain, even compounded, because we don't regularly practice taking it to God through lament. And I'm convinced that lament is an area that almost all of us can grow in, including myself. And I believe it's not only um, the most misunderstood, but also probably the most underappreciated practice that is, uh, in my mind, actually a spiritual discipline. One of the ways that God shows us the importance of practicing lament is by how much of the Psalms that it actually encompasses. As you guys probably know, about 40% of the psalms is made up of this genre of lament. I want you to think about that. You know, how many songs have we sung in your years of attending church? Lament. Even as ICC, and I say that to my shame as one of the worship leaders, how often do we actually sing songs of lament? How often do we pray through these particular psalms as a part of our regular prayer life? You know, oftentimes when I'm preparing a Sunday song set for worship here, I'll go to a worship song database. It's called Song Select it's by CCLI. It has like all the copyrighted worship songs like ever made. And it has a search engine on this site. It just allows you to quickly find uh, any worship song ever written, basically, related to a, any theme. And it has a library of like over 200,000 songs. And this week I typed in love in the search engine, and I got nearly 14,000 songs. I typed in faith, and I got 5,000 songs. Joy got me 4,000 songs. Guess how many I got when I typed in sorrow? I got 295 songs. It's like less than one-tenth of one percent. You know how many I got when I entered anger or frustration or lament? I got a big fat zero. How can nearly half of Israel's songbook, the Psalms, be made up of laments, and yet when you look at the vast library of contemporary worship songs, you get almost nothing. And I think there are actually several reasons for this. This is probably not comprehensive, but I think the reason why we resist this regular practice of lament is, one, that we falsely believe that lament demonstrates a lack of faith or spiritual maturity. I mean, many of us have come to believe that joy, optimism, happiness is really the only acceptable emotions for Christians. 
or we've grown up in a culture or a home where to question someone in power is to subvert their authority. And to express doubt means that you've lost faith in their leadership. And I think this may be true of insecure leaders, but this is not at all true of God. So many of the psalms of laments are filled with question after question, bursting forth with a full range of human emotions, anger, hurt, frustration, impatience, betrayal. Here's just a list of few of them from the psalms. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? My God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe that God has included this in his word all throughout the Psalms because he's not only telling us that he can handle our questions, he's giving us a blueprint through David and the other psalmists that the only way to truly discover the heart of God is to first be honest about what's inside our own hearts. And this is exactly what God wants. He wants our heart, all of it, with all its warts and imperfections and all of its brokenness and all of its heaviness. That is what he desires. And I believe that choosing to lament demonstrates real faith, not a lack of faith. You know, it's far easier to shut down or ignore our negative emotions than it is to face them and bring them before the Lord. It's far easier to direct our anger and our vitriol horizontally towards other people rather than vertically. When we are in trouble, it's far more natural to focus all our energy on trying to find a solution in our strength, in our wisdom, rather than bringing our anger and our hurt and our sorrow and our pain in faith before God. And let's be honest, it's far easier just to, to be disgruntled, to feel disillusioned, and hardships and struggles naturally lead us down a path of self-pity rather than to God himself. It takes faith to come to him in our broken, emotional, and vulnerable state. Two, I think why so many of us resist this practice of lament is we think acknowledging our negative emotions will only prolong, prolong them. It's like sorrow, anger, grief. It's almost like we pretend that if they're not there, then we think they'll just go away on their own. Or we stuff it deep inside so we think it's gone, thinking we have dealt with it. And then years later, maybe even decades later, something triggers that emotion in us. And we're left wondering, I thought I dealt with that years ago. What's going on? And yet here I am again. You know, I'm not saying that learning to lament before God will immediately solve your problems or instantaneously change your emotional state. But the Psalms are clear that when we bring them before God in his time and in his way, he can transform anxiety into peace, anger into calm, fear into faith. And you notice in Psalm 23, David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And it doesn't say, because you got me out of it really quickly. No, David says, I will fear no evil because what? Because you are with me. You're with me. His emotional state did not change because he made it out of the valley. His emotional state changed because God had entered into his valley. 
And if you read through the Psalms of Lament, like Psalm 13, Psalm 22, Psalm 31, Psalm 42, Psalm 57, Psalm 139, so many, you will notice a common pattern. What begins with angry questions and even existential confusion filled with pain and suffering eventually pivots to a turning to God and and a sense of hope. And although you can read through these Psalms of Laments in a matter of minutes, I believe they often took years and years to write. Transforming our pain into praise is not always immediate, but it's a journey of faith. And acknowledging our fears, our anger, our pain before God, it may not take away our troubles, but it can bring God's felt presence into our lives. Third, I think we resist the practice of lament because we fear that God will not accept us in our troubled state. And I think this is false thinking that is often shaped by our own childhood experience, maybe even perpetuated by us as parents if we have children, right? When our children express negative emotions, when they're kicking and screaming at the grocery store, talking back to us, we, we don't want to be around them, do we? But expressing our anger, frustration, and sorrow does not drive away God. But I think if these Psalms of Lament teach us anything, is that God does not love us less when we are in this state. He loves us the same. Because he cannot love us any more than he already loves us. He cannot love us any less than he already loves us. And he fully accepts us, whatever emotional state that we find ourselves in. I came across this little comic on my Facebook page this past week, and I think it illustrates this actually pretty well. Um, There's a pink dino. I don't know if you can read that. He says, I'm sad. And this blue dino says, I'm sorry, and I'm here for you. And the pink dino says, aren't you going to tell me to cheer up? People always tell me to cheer up. And the blue dino says, no, I still like you when you're sad. And I know it's a bit cheeky, you know, with these dinos and cartoons, but I think this little comic captures so well our desire to be loved, our desire to be accepted for who we are, even in our distress. And that is what the Psalms teaches us, that God loves us when we are happy, that God loves us when we are sad, that God loves us when we are frustrated and angry, even at him. And his love for us is unconditional. And the moment that we can accept this truth is the moment that we will sense his acceptance. No matter what emotional state we find ourselves in. When by faith we lament before God, he's not moving away from us. Rather, we are moving towards him. You know, uh, Dan Allender, um, famous writer and Christian counselor, says this, A lament is truly asking and seeking and knocking to comprehend the heart of God. A lament involves the energy to search, not to shut down the quest for truth. It is a passion to ask rather than to rant and rave with already reached conclusions. A lament uses the language of pain, anger, and confusion and moves towards God. When we lament, God does not move away from us, I said. Rather, God comes near in our pain. And I believe we sense his nearness as we move towards him. 
Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. Uh, for the remainder of this sermon, just another 15 minutes or so, I just want to unpack uh, Psalm 55, which is a psalm of lament that is written by David. And it's a very unique psalm, I believe. It's a psalm that is born out of the betrayal of a trusted spiritual friend. Um, now, many Old Testament scholars believe that David wrote this psalm as he was fleeing from his son Absalom, who, as you may recall, um, was attempting to overtake his throne kind of in the, the later stages of his life. And so for any of us who have children, you can imagine the pain that David must have felt to have his own beloved son turn against him and even seek his, his death. But this particular psalm is not expressing his pain from his own son's betrayal. I believe it is actually lamenting the pain that David is feeling from the betrayal of a longtime trusted friend and spiritual advisor, Ahithophel. Ahithophel is his name. Who has betrayed David, and he has aligned himself with his son Absalom. And you, you may remember this story uh, that Pastor Steve preached back in the fall of 2019. Uh, Ahithophel was a man who was not only respected by David, but by everyone. Because he had often spoke as the voice of God to David and to the people of Israel. 2 Samuel 16 tells us this. It says, Now in those days the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice. He was a man of God. And to give you some historical background related to this psalm, this is what we find in 2 Samuel 15 as David is fleeing Jerusalem because of Absalom. It says this, But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went up. Now David had been told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. So David prayed, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. So let me read Psalm 55, or most of it for you, with this context and this broken relationship with Ahithophel in mind. This is a psalm of David. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught. Because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I want you to notice that in these first five verses, David names each and every emotion that he's feeling and he brings it all before God. My thoughts trouble me. I'm distraught. My heart is in anguish. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And notice David doesn't ignore, nor does he downplay his distress. He brings it honestly and vulnerably before the Lord. And then he says in verse 6, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. 
I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound their words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. And David is expressing his heart here to be anywhere, anywhere but here. And now he explains why he feels so pained. Verse 12. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Just notice the pain that David is expressing here. And all of it comes from the betrayal of someone that he trusted, a spiritual friend and a brother. When the trust of a spiritual friend is broken or violated, I think it can invoke a special kind of pain, a unique form of trauma. Because it's not only about losing a friendship or a relationship with someone that you trust, but it has a way of shaking even our relationship with God himself. Because your relationship with this person is so intertwined with your relationship with God, it's, it's difficult to separate sometimes, isn't it? And it grieves me to say this, but I, I think if you spend any amount of time in churches in your life, you've probably experienced this at some point, if not on multiple occasions. What do we do when someone we respect, a spiritual mentor, an advisor, a beloved brother or sister in the faith, What do we do when they let us down? What do they do? What do we do when they violate our trust or even betray us? You know, I mentioned this, uh, I think, you know, recently when I preached, we were preaching through the Bible Project, and um, one of the examples, I think, that came to mind as I was preparing this week was just um, is the the famous Christian apologist, uh, Ravi Zacharias, he was a man that I never met in person, but I came across his books and his ministry when I was early in my college years, and this was a, a season when I was really wrestling with my faith, and um, I devoured many of his books and listened to so many of his talks and uh, his debates with atheists, and um, I was just so encouraged by his ministry. And, and when news came out earlier this year that he had been living this duplicitous life, and was a slave to his own sexual sins. And he did everything in his power to hide it and mute those who were abused. I was so heartbroken on so many levels for the many victims who suffered horribly under him, for the gospel witness that was harmed around the world, for my own faith, which was shaken by someone I respected and trusted. And, you know, I... I have other very painful and even more personal examples of this from past church experiences as well. I don't want to get into that here, but I know there are many of you here at ICC who have come from a church in which you've experienced something similar. And it could be a very diverse um, megachurch or a smaller ethnic church, and yet the experience seems to be almost universal. 
And these churches may have been incredibly formational for you in your faith. Maybe even a place where you got saved. And yet, looking back, you're not sure now what to make of that experience because of the pain and the dissonance that you may feel now. Maybe even it has even led you to a place where you question not only if your faith experience was real there, but even if God is real. And I think we have to be honest about those feelings before ourselves and before God. But notice in verse 16 how David's lament pivots to his response and to God's faithfulness. Verse 16, as for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me. And even though many oppose me, God, who is enthroned from of old, who does not change, he will hear them. He will humble them because they have no fear of God. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. You know, in expressing our emotions, laments force us to be honest about what is in our hearts. And while this may provide some relief, we're not to stop there, are we? Laments are to ultimately lead us to seek God's wisdom, God's help. And I was talking to one ICC member recently who said that <clears throat> he has attended three churches in his life as a Christian before coming to ICC, and every single one of them, all three, have fallen due to moral failure in the leadership. And after he shared this, he looked at me, and it was like he was waiting for me to say, like, can you please leave our church like right away before <laughs> this curse that you carry falls on us? But, you know, honestly, my heart went out to him. And I want you to know today that God sees your pain. And he says, come, come to me. Come with your troubled heart. Come in all your anguish and horror. Come with all your fears and in your trembling. And in that place, he says, call out to me. Cry out to me. Cast your cares on me. Trust. Trust me. Um, this past week, I've been reflecting on all, all the occasions in the Gospels where the writers of the Gospels actually record Jesus as being angry, sad, anxious. These feelings that we feel, um, which often lead us to lament. And 
what caused Jesus to feel these things? And what did he ultimately do with it? And I think there are so many examples and insights to gain from this, and I, I may unpack it further when I preach again next month, but before we enter into a time of communion, uh, I want to highlight not so much one occasion that we see this, but actually one particular location where it happened several times with Christ. Because I think it shows us how this all kind of comes full circle with David. And as I mentioned earlier, just before David wrote Psalm 55 in 2 Samuel 15, we're told that he flees the city of Jerusalem from Absalom and Ahithophel. And notice not just his emotional state, but notice the path that he takes. I don't think this is an accident. It says in 2 Samuel 15, but David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. He continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. And I think this is an important detail. And it's actually the first time, the first mention of the Mount of Olives in the Bible. But it's not the only time. 1,000 years later, we find Jesus, the son of David, He's taking this exact same path. But this time he's he's entering into the city of Jerusalem, not out of it like David. And it is about a week before his death. And he and his disciples are coming to celebrate the Passover. And it is like to the same point at the Mount of Olives, I believe, that David weeps. And Luke tells us this, as he, that is Jesus, approached Jerusalem. And as he saw the city... He wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Because you, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is grieving for his children, for his people who have rejected him, and for the peace that he came to offer them. And he's using the the same language that David uses in Psalm 55. He sees all the violence, all the brokenness, and the destruction that awaits them because of their unbelief, because of their sin. And his heart is so overwhelmed by it. Jesus weeps. Only a few days later, we find Jesus again. He's at the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we learn that his heart is deeply troubled. And he's overwhelmed. And what does he do? Luke 22 tells us that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, 
He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. You notice that Jesus and his disciples, they all felt sorrow. They all felt anguish. And yet here we see Jesus turn to the Lord in prayer. And yet the disciples fall into exhaustion in their sorrow. Notice that in the same place that David is weeping and full of anguish, we find the son of David also filled with anguish. And Luke tells us in verse 47 of that same chapter, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Jesus would experience the betrayal of a disciple and a close friend in the same place that David would lament over the betrayal of his son and his spiritual friend. It all comes full circle in one place on the Mount of Olives. Jesus shares our grief over in the violence and the injustice of this broken world. Jesus laments over the destructive effects of sin. Jesus experienced a level of anguish and suffering that none of us could ever fathom. All the immense pain and suffering this world has ever known concentrated into one moment in time and space on one singular body, on one Roman cross. And yet, Jesus does not minimize our pain or our anguish. He sits with us in it and he calls us to himself. We're going to enter into a time of communion <clears throat> at this time. If you could ready the elements so that we can take it together. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know, my heart has been really heavy for this past month or so. And I'm sorry, I don't usually get emotional. <laughs> but... Um, this has been a very difficult message, I think, even to prepare on an emotional level. I, um, my wife, Kim, sent me this anonymous quote she found, and it says this, Rain falls because the clouds can no longer handle the weight, but tears fall because the heart can no longer handle the pain. I believe our tears are physical evidence that our hearts can no longer contain our sorrow. And I think it's a reminder that we need to give it to someone else, to God himself. And this is, this is why we lament. And what does God do with our tears? Psalm 56, 8 tells us, David sings, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And I can't say I know why God tells us that he keeps our tears in a, in a bottle. But I think what this psalm tells us is that he, 
He sees our pain. He shares our pain. And even the smallest sign of it, even a single teardrop, is precious in his sight. It's worth keeping. He holds it close to his heart. And he remembers it forever. Matthew 26 says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's, let's take the elements together at this time. Lord, we are reminded that at the cross where you cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? You accomplished our salvation. And it's because you took on all the pain and suffering that sin brings into this world. We can find refuge. We can find shalom, your peace. Lord, won't you help us to turn our eyes towards you in our pain. Open up our hearts to your heart. Help us to see, Lord, how you welcome us no matter what state we find ourselves in. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this gift of lament. Where in your wisdom and in your love, you have created space for us to express the deep hurts and wounds in our own hearts, to lay them at your feet. And then we pray that in, in that place, in your timing, that you would reveal yourself to us. You are here. We are not alone. You are with us. You are for us. You are good. We love you. We praise you. And we look forward to the day when you make all things new. Restoring the fallenness of this world with a new heaven and a new earth in which we will lift up a new cup and drink it together in fellowship with you face to face in your presence. This is our joy. This is our great hope. This is our living hope. This is only because of you. We love you. We lift this up. Son's name.